On the record. On News Talk. With Penergy. Supplying energy with insight to forward thinking Irish businesses. Oscar Fingal of Flaherty Wills Wild. Uh, that's a name. I'm sure Donald Fallon isn't pulling my leg when he puts that into the notes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Oscar Wild uh, was born in Dublin's Westland Row and is today buried at the fairly impressive Père Lachaise Cemetery uh, in Paris. He's an international celebrity, as anyone will know if they've ever been to see his grave or seen all the signatures on his mural in Marion Square. He was among the first generation of stars and his story is well known. But what's not quite as well known about Oscar Wilde is the tale of how he managed to become this kind of worldwide figure and how he launched himself onto the global stage. How he did it was that he did it long before bands from this part of the world would ever go and try to, you know, make it big elsewhere in the world. He went on a tour to try and crack America because to him, America is not a country, it's a world. And Donald Fallon is here to tell us all about it. Uh, th- this is why I'm so tickled by the idea that in the late 19th century, they still had this idea that, oh, to make it big in the world, you have to go and crack America. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, and it, 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 the wild is in many ways the story of the birth of, of celebrity, the first Irish celebrity, mm. I would argue. And even today, he does still have that star power. There's something remarkable about Oscar Wilde's grave, if you've ever been there. Uh, it's covered in recent years to stop kind of adoring fans from kissing it, the lipstick kisses or scrolling mm. on it uh, undoubtedly I think it's probably fair to say it's the most visited grave in the most visited cemetery in the world Père Lachaise and, you know, there's Jim Morrison there's all kinds I was going to say he's, he's in the same one isn't he very they've, nearby. They've had, and they've had to put some glass over his as well they have I mean this is a place where people go to worship the dead you know but Wilde has, has this incredible power even in death he remains a star and I mean his work is still widely performed on both sides of the Atlantic there's always an Oscar Wilde play on, well in normal times you know when theatres mm. are open there's always a Wilde play on somewhere mm. you know several biographies written backwards and forwards he's even been brought onto the big screen Stephen Fry uh, brought him to life but kind of the story of how Wilde launches himself into public consciousness is what we're talking about today it's a, it's a remarkable story because it's a reminder that stars you know celebs they're not born fully formed they, they create themselves mm. and at the age of 27 this kind of young maverick boards a boat for the United States of America determined to create a household name of himself I mean he had one book published 700 copies of it it had been panned and yet he goes to America to make himself uh, a celeb goes for three months stays for more than 10 packs them in San Francisco Kansas Nebraska Georgia New York Boston. I mean, a band would be yeah, jealous of, yeah, of yeah. The, 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 the amount of gigs he played. And as one biographer has put it, you know, he was among the first to understand, and I love this way with words, that celebrity could come before accomplishment. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't have to have done yeah, all yeah. of that much. And as, as one New York Times journalist uh, wrote recently, reflecting on Wilde's tour, he said, without Wilde's aptitude for self-promotion, there might have been no Andy Warhol, no Paris Hilton, no Kim Kardashian. And, and, and that's what's, the beginning of what, it all. what's remarkable about it. It is the beginning of it all, because now today when we talk about breaking America, and when I saw that your notes come in for this this morning I said alright this is like the, the What's the Story Morning Glory Tour in 1995 this is you know going over and trying to break America but actually Oscar Wilde like, he wasn't treading in anyone else's footsteps um, to do this he was the first guy to realise that America was the place he needed to go Yeah, and anyone you know in this country who's good at what they do and who has a bit of commercial success that's always the question you see with the Fontaines at the moment you know, will they break America can they break America and most people try and break America at the peak of their career you know when they're, when they're, uh, when they're up but Wilde by comparison did it at the very onset Wilde didn't really have a career you know when he went <laughs> <laughs> when he went to the United States. So not alone did he kind of set out to speak across the US, but he was determined that everyone would know his name. You know, he was going to go there and he was going to speak to coal miners, university students, prisoners, Walt Whitman, the, the mayor of New York, <laughs> yeah. policeman, the generally curious. You know, he was going to make sure that by the time he left the United States of America, this you know unknown young Irish poet 
would be a phenomenal yeah. name. Uh, I did like that you just broke out Walt Whitman as a separate sort of category of society there. <laughs> we, we might come back to that in a few minutes. Uh, tell us about, though, where Oscar Wilde was when he had set himself out. You mentioned that he had only written that one book and that it had been you know, fairly panned. Uh, he had launched himself as a poet, but obviously he wasn't exactly the most prominent poet of the day. Trinity and Oxford uh, educated uh, a poet, not a particularly good one. In fact, when the, when the book of poetry came out, Punch magazine reviewed it. A great one-liner, actually. Wilde would have been proud of this. They said, the poet is wild, but the poetry is tame. You know, which is a pretty, pretty bad review, <laughs> yeah, a bad yeah, pan. Yeah. But, you know, Wilde kind of... he was wildly jealous when he saw that line. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of coming to public prominence, not for his poetry, which, you know, is kind of panned, but for his appearance, this great kind of flamboyant appearance. And he promotes the idea of, of aestheticism, you know, art for art's sake. And he described it beautifully, you know, the elevation of taste and the pursuit of beauty as the chief principles in art and in life. And he was the embodiment of this mo- of this movement, the way he dressed, you know, he was so flamboyant. And at a time when that kind of art was beginning to make its way into society, it was even mm. being parodied, off he went to the United States of America, flowers in hand. Well, tell me then about the, the wild scenes when he does arrive, because this is the bit that I can't quite get my head around. If he is a poet of no great esteem and his work is not celebrated in any way, and he's going off to try and turn himself into a celebrity before he becomes a well-known artist in America. He's on the way over and they arrive, and yet even there's a crowd there to receive him off the boat. There's you know reports in the press about how this guy dresses. It's said that he walks through London's Piccadilly carrying flowers in hand. And when he's asked about that, he says... Maybe I did it, maybe I didn't do it. But once people think I did it, that's all that matters. So he's kind of building like an image. It's the whole thing about how if you've got a reputation for getting up early, you can lie in every day. There you go, yeah. absolutely. And Wilde is constructing this kind of image of, of himself. So, I mean, there's public interest entirely centred on how this guy dresses. And it, it's hard to put into words how different he looks. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a dull time as far as fashion is concerned. A New York journalist kind of watches this strange, they, they always call him British, this kind of strange, mm. you know, London poet step off the, the, the boat and says, Mr. Wilde is six feet three inches in height, straight as an arrow and with broad shoulders and long arms, indicating considerable strength. His outer garment was a long Ulster coat trimmed with two kinds of fur, which reached almost to his feet. A sky blue cravette of the sailor type hung well down on his chest. His hair flowed over his shoulders in dark brown waves curling slightly upwards at the end. His eyes are deep blue but without that faraway expression that's popularly attributed to poets. This is a poet who's published one book it sold 750 copies and it was panned and yet there's a New York journalist yeah. standing there describing what he's wearing uh, as, as he steps off the boat. So he built this you know, remarkable hype around himself. It's rare now that a journalist would stand there and watch someone and describe what they're wearing getting off an, a- an aeroplane. Yeah. But you know, in, in late 19th century society, they're obsessed with Wilde and how he looks. So you mentioned this idea that he was promoting, just the idea of art for art's sake, this kind of aestheticism. Flesh that out, because that sort of implies, especially when you mentioned the, the different categories that he spoke to, that there was this kind of whole gamut of things that he could speak about. So what exactly yeah, I mean, was it that Wild, he was lecturing on? Wilde speaks more than 100 times. I think he speaks 114 times in America and a few times in Canada. And nearly every lecture is totally different. So he just has the, he has the ability, you know, like a good TD to get up and talk on basically anything. And he's able to bring yeah. the crowd along with him. But one problem that he has when he gets to America is that his mother is quite famous among the Irish community. Her okay. name was Lady right. Jane Wilde. Actually, it's a bit of a disgrace because there's a plaque on the house on Merrion Square yeah, to yeah. Oscar. There's a plaque to the, to the dad, William. But, you know, Lady Jane Wilde was very famous in her own day. And she was a much bigger draw than Oscar. I mean, she was a poet, firebrand Irish nationalist, and she called herself Speranza. Yeah. Brilliant. The Italian, yes. the Italian word for hope. And her poetry was you know, really popular with the kind of Irish diaspora. 
Uh, she wrote a lot of poetry during the, the famine calling for, for revolt and was a, a, a very kind of uncompromising nationalist. So Wilde finds when he's in America, people want to come and hear you know, Speranza's son. They want him to read his, his mother's poetry. And he ends up kind of talking to these huge audiences in very Irish-American places uh, about his mom's poetry. But one of the newspapers, the Arizona Weekly Citizen, condemns Wilde as being so low, he does not scruple to advertise himself for a dollar a ticket as the son of Lady Wilde. So he finds himself talking on things like you know, Thomas Davis, the Young Irelanders, even the famine to these kind of big crowds of, of Irish Americans and he, he can wing it. Wilde can wing it yeah. on just about anything. Which I suppose is remarkable then but clearly because of his ability to speak somewhat off the cuff but also you would never characterise Oscar Wilde, you'd never think of someone, despite the generation that he was, you'd never think that he'd be going over and yeah. talking about the, the rebels of previous generations and what might have been to come with home rule and everything else. Yes. You'd never think that that was part of his, his kind of gamut of conversation. Uh, it's remarkable. But then again, his Irishness was also something for which he was routinely he, he, mocked when he, he was He never there. really played up his Irishness, Wilde. And it's interesting, like, very little, I think nothing of what Wilde writes is actually set in this country. You know, he makes his name in London. He parodies London society. Basically, all his work is set in London. Mm. And you know, what they didn't realise at the time was he wasn't laughing with them, he was laughing at them. But, you know, in America, the fact he's Irish is really played on Thomas Nass. We've talked about him before in this slot. Nasty cartoonist. I mean, yeah. He's the guy who draws the Irish monkey Fenian sitting on the keg of dynamite. I mean, he parodies Wilde because he's Irish. So in, in, in certain sections of society, this is a big thing. And for someone who's so modern, he's a modernist Wilde, he's all about the here and the now. But the Irishness is something that's you know commented on uh, in a negative way. Yeah, uh, before you mentioned Walt Whitman as one of the subgenres of society that uh, he spoke to, you also mentioned that he spoke to some miners. I love this in Colorado. Story. It's probably the, the most like, remarkable. What, what about? Yeah, <laughs> he arrives. Like, are this... they all that invested in the Irish campaign for Home Rule? Like, they, what's going on? There's a lecture on aesthetics for these uh, miners in Colorado, and Wild appears on stage wearing silk stockings, velvet coat, and explains the wonders of art to a packed house of, of silver miners. And they were totally taken by him. Apparently they were a rowdy crowd, but he played the crowd. And he reads them poetry by Cellini, who was an an Italian silversmith, as if to say to them, you know, you, the working men, are capable of producing this kind of amazing art. And someone shouts from the audience, why didn't you bring your friend Cellini with you? And Cellini, Wilde informed the miners, had actually died in 1571. And one of the miners (laughs) shouts... Who shot him? You know, that's the kind of crowd he was, he was among. But I think Wilde, you know, he was able to play any crowd. And they even brought him down into a Colorado mine. He drinks whiskey with miners at the bottom of his Colorado mine. So I mean, that's unheard of. Writers don't do those kind of things. You know, even today, Wilde was willing to go off the beaten track and, and talk to any audience that would listen. Yeah, but the, I suppose, again, it just illustrates that he wasn't there necessarily to try and make his name as a poet or for people to appreciate his art. That He was just there as a, as a bon vivant. He just wanted to just go out and just become like someone that people recognised for, for any reason um, again you mentioned uh, Walt Whitman did, did all the writers yeah. enjoy his company? Wilde was very clever when someone said who are your favourite writers he always named living people and I mean I think that was clever because it flattered great names so mm. if you said you know, my favourite writer is Walt Whitman Walt Whitman wants to meet you you know if, if yeah. it, it, it's much more it's a way uh, to get an invite it's a way of getting yeah. spotlight for yourself too Walt Whitman loved him you know Walt Whitman said he's the grandest man I've ever seen the simplest most natural and strongest character I've ever met in my life others weren't really having it uh, the writer Henry James met Wild and described him as a fatuous fool, a tenth rate cad. You know, he thought he, he, thought he was just <laughs> a, a, a chance. Tenth rate a tenth cad. rate cad. Not which, even a second rate <laughs> or a third rate, a tenth rate so, cad. Not everyone in the US, not everyone in the US was taken uh, by Wild. No, I'd say that was another line that he was widely jealous of as well because it's just, just so <laughs> elegantly dismissive. It's brilliant. Um, ultimately, though, it, it all works because he leaves America having.
having achieved exactly what he set out to do, yes. which was to become a household name. He leaves a celebrity, you know, one of the very first, and, and he made a deep impression on some. He bemused others. But, you know, Wilde famously said, what well, you one of the great Wilde quotes, was that there's one thing worse than being talked about, and that it's is not, not being, being talked, talked about. about. Yeah. And certainly everyone in America was talking about this kind of strange character who just passed through. You know, from the minds of Colorado to, to the pages of the New York press, everyone had a view on Wilde. Uh, by the end of it. And he went there, you know, many people said, oh, Speranza's son from Ireland, whatever, but he left the star in his, in his own right. And brilliantly, you know, Wilde, not only, he, he goes over to America and lectures to the Americans on art, then he comes back to Britain and does a speaking tour about the Americans. And he tells, Brilliant. He tells the British public what he's learned. And, you know, as we're heading towards a, a election, uh, one of his observations on Americans for British audiences, he said, in America, the president reigns for four years and journalism governs forever and ever. How long may that be the case, if I do say so myself? Uh, remarkable stuff. I'm so tickled by the idea that the guy just realised that there was an a, there was a cult of celebrity to be cultivated before it even existed. And the, the amount of insight, whatever about his artistic work, but just even his, his kind of cultural insight to realise that that was possible is something that's really, really worth uh, remarking and celebrating. Uh, Oscar Wilde's birthday, by the way, was two days ago, October the 16th, all the way back in 1854. And if you're going down Westland Row uh, in Dublin too, you can still see the plaque outside the house in which he was born. It's just opposite the street from uh, the Royal Irish Academy of Music. Do uh, keep an eye out for it if you're passing that way. Uh, Donald Fallon, as ever, thanks so much for that. Donald Fallon is a historian. He is the author of the Come Here To Me books and he's the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast, which you'll find online. 